What a, what a great clip from the movie Les Mis. Jean Valjean was a criminal, a thief. He'd been caught in a crime. He deserved more years in prison, but was given mercy. He was bought with a price and given over to God. See, mercy is something we all want, and it connects with our hearts, doesn't it? When we see it and we run into it, we are surprised by it. And in fact, whether you're a Christian or not, it is something we all want is mercy. It is mercy. But at the same time, we're Americans, and we love our justice, don't we? I mean, you look on the, on the TV, it's all about justice. I mean, how many law and orders can they produce? They just keep, keep coming out, right? But as Americans, we want justice. Um, just this week, my roommate um, told me of a recent story that's happening right now in the Middle East where a man was stabbed by another. The guy ended up paralyzed. And the man who was paralyzed, he wanted full justice. So he wanted an eye for an eye. He wanted the other guy to experience the same pain and be paralyzed. Some of us go, yes, that's justice. But when it comes to personally, when it comes to you and I, we don't, we don't want that kind of justice. We rather want mercy. When it comes to our sins and our wrongdoings, we want mercy. And as we stand before God, we want him to be merciful to us. We want people to treat us with mercy. But listen, the scriptures are so very clear that on our best day, on your best day, we don't, we aren't good enough. That the standard is so high that we don't reach it. In fact, it says that our righteous acts, that your good deeds and your best day are like filthy rags to God. Filthy rags. And right standing with God would come at the expense of somebody. Right? It would come at the expense of someone far greater than us, and that is Jesus. See, your greatest need in life is Jesus. It's not a pay raise, it's not a new job or a new life, not the new toy, but your greatest need and our greatest need is this Jesus. And the fact that while we were still sinners, he would die for us. He would die for us. And some of you are like, why are we talking about this? Wasn't that last week, like Easter? Wasn't that last week what we talked about? But see, here's the deal. The implications of the cross are countless. It's so much bigger than just one day. Just so much bigger. That we are a people, if you put your faith in him, that we are a people bought at a price. And now we begin to live in the gospel because he has paid the price. We now belong to God. We belong to him. And on the day of Pentecost, he sends his Holy Spirit to empower us and the believers then. That Holy Spirit that Jesus was baptized, when he was baptized, came upon him and allowed him to do unbelievable miracles and he walked in and walked in that power. That same Holy Spirit is now available to those who believe. The same power that was upon Jesus now resides in those who call upon his name. And so listen, our mission now changes. Our purpose changes. Our identity has changed. It is now we are reconciled to God and we have new purposes. We go from being lost to found, from blind to being able to see, hopeless to hopeful. 
fearful to strong because we know our identity. We know our purpose. We know our mission. Bought at a price. Empowered by the Spirit. Made alive in Christ. Amen? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But what now? I mean, we're post-Easter. That was last week. We're post-resurrection. So what is it now? Well, let me tell you, we gather here around this good news. That as a church, this is what we're to be about. That we're about the showing and the telling of the gospel. It's what we sing about. It's what we talk about. It's why we exist here as Christ Church. And it's why we're together this morning. Everything else, secondary. And listen, if we ever lose the gospel, then we, then we no longer exist to be the church. Rather, we become some social club, some country club, or just a, rather, a place to hang out. And as pastors, I want to let you know, we're held accountable for how we lead and how we teach. That we, we are to give you the full counsel of God, the full gospel, and we are held accountable. And listen, so that means we're going to talk about sin. I know that's taboo in some cultures, that's taboo in some churches, but boy, we're going to talk about things that may push people away. We're going to talk about things that may make you uncomfortable. And I'm not afraid to offend your delicate sense of nature. As long as it's His Word and the Gospel that does the offending. Preach the truth. Faithful to the truth. And here's the deal. Jesus changes everything. And in fact, it changed Peter so much that when he was full of the Holy Spirit, he stands in front of a crowd of thousands. The same Peter that denied Christ stands up and listen to the message that he gives this crowd. He goes, you nailed him to the cross. You crucified him. Repent of your sins. The first sermon. The first Christian sermon. Not very socially correct, is it? And listen, as members of this body, as members of the church, because that's when you put your faith in Christ, you're part of the members, you should expect the same. That you don't need somebody telling you how good you are or how you can get five steps to be a better you or 15 steps to make your man love you. You get all that from Dr. Phil. What you need is somebody telling you that you need him. Because the fundamental problem is you, and it's me. And listen, we don't need our ears tickled. A lot of us want to hear certain things. Tell me more of this, tell me more of that. And maybe even some of you are like, I don't even like what Robbie has to say. But Romans 1.16 says this, and you know it. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes not ashamed of it, because it is the power of God that brings salvation. And this is what we're about, and it's what we're privileged with, that we have this, we know this. And all other agendas, all the other stuff gets out of the way. And see, this church needs to be about God and the gospel. Salvation through Jesus alone. Listen, I need to hear it preached. I preach to me the word. Preach to me the gospel. Because I know who I am without it. And this isn't just the pastor's responsibility. 
This is common the thought in churches and even here at times in Christ's church. You know, Pastor, I'll bring them, you tell them. You know, you know I'll just bring them here. No, no I'm not going to get dirty. I'm not going to talk. You, you tell them, Pastor. Or we go, you know what, I'm going to preach the gospel with my actions and maybe I'll get around to using my words. But the problem with that is that it isn't biblical. I understand what you're saying, but it isn't biblical. You'd be, you'd be overlooking three of Jesus' last commands. He, he says, go and tell. He says, make disciples. Be a witness. All about going, all about sharing, all about telling. And last time I knew, telling required words, doesn't it? It's your task and our task at hand. And listen, sometimes we pass the responsibility on to others. Sometimes we make our excuses. I'm not smart enough. I don't know really what to say. And sometimes we simply just don't do it. Which makes me wonder, do we really understand the gospel? And my prayer today in this message, and to weeks coming forward, that the Holy Spirit would steer up in us an irresistible urge that I got to go and I got to tell. I got to go. I got to tell. And this starts cognitively. We got to start to understand this gospel in our minds. Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer up your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. But do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is not saying that we need more information, or you need to go to the Christian bookstore and read up a whole lot of good stuff. I mean, we have the internet, we have a lot of information at hand, don't we? You can get anything you want on the internet, and it's always true, right? Right? But see, if information was the cure, then why is it those experts who know the Bible front and back, and you've met them, right? They have all the information but look nothing like Jesus, and in fact are arrogant and nasty people to be around. A lot of head knowledge. See, not, information doesn't do the transformation. But rather says, Scripture says, as a renewed mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, is it just me, or does the mind have a hard time thinking about spiritual and godly things? Like how easy it is to forget to pray or to read the Word. And even when we do go, I'm going to take some time, I'm just going to pray, we start thinking about all kinds of other things. Like, what am I going to do next? Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, i got to do that. i got to do this. i got to do this. And we can't even focus on the main task at hand. See, the mind, the Scripture says that the mind is hostile to God. In fact, it's depraved. It rages war and doesn't want to exalt God. Now, we see in Acts 2.42, in the early New Testament, this New Testament church, they decided and they were committed to being about the disciples' teaching. They were in the temple daily. Was it so they could just get information? No. Or be spiritual, right? We just want to be spiritual. No, it was so that they could see God. Is that they can know Him and they can be transformed 
by his words and his truth. We also see that the early church was about the commun- taking communion together. Well, why is that important? So they could constantly be reminded of the gospel. Constantly reminded. Renewed by his word. And here's the problem. Is that we have a tendency to live here. You call it a high chair, right? For today's purposes, it's the me chair. This is what we, we have a tendency to live. That we really believe that this world exists about me. So we sit high above everybody else, and everybody else around us serves us. That you would exist for me and for my benefit. It's all about me, my comfort, my world, and I'm the king of my castle, and I'm going to sit up high, and you're going to serve me. But that's not what the scripture teaches. That's not what his word says, is it? See, we've got to take captive all these types of thinking. The gospel teaches us the world isn't about us. You ain't the center of your universe or the universe. Rather, it is about him and his glory, and it teaches us to love God and love others. So we get into the word, not for information. No, no. We get in so that we can get to know his thoughts and his heart, his desires. And his mind. We've been living here for most of us our whole lives. And that's all we have. And the world tells us that. Feeds into this. But we got to be transformed by his word. So we soak it in. We dwell on it. We think about it. We allow him to change our thinking. See, a transformed mind by the Holy Spirit and his word begins to see God in new ways. You ever try to watch a video on your cell phone? Right? You get a small picture. You don't get to see the details. You don't get to see it all. See, a transformed mind is like looking at a jumbotron. It's a whole other view. We begin to see God everywhere. And there's no place that he's not. So as I travel to work and I'm in my car, I realize he's there with me. As I walk the streets of the city, I feel his presence. As you play with your kids... God is there. We begin to, to see people differently. That those we run into aren't in the way, but rather they're divine encounters. And those that annoy the snot out of us, and you know who they are, they're placed there by God. And your kids, they're children of the King that you're holding. And when we see the homeless, and the broken, and the hurting, we go, this is my Jesus, and I can't resist to help him. See, a transformed mind, renewed by the Holy Spirit, and by the Word of God, begins to see differently. I remember a huge moment in my life, and it's kind of crazy, I remember certain things. When I was 16 years old, and I was in Florida, I was at church camp, and all week long, I was hearing the Word, all week long. And I remember I was on the beach there, and it was just one of those nights, divine. And you know, you have your feet in the sand, and you, you see the waves, you hear the waves, and, you, and, and the breeze was blowing. It wasn't hot or cold, it was just perfect. And I looked up, and you see the stars, how magnificent they were. And in the distance, there was this storm, and the lightning was flashing, and the different colors you could see. 
And in that moment, I go, man, what amazing God. What amazing God. And then I also thought, how wretched am I? How wretched am I? And Augustine says this as he was looking at a beautiful sunset. He says this. He says, if these are the pleasures afforded to sinful men, what does he have in store for those who are his? If these are the pleasures afforded to sinful men, see, we begin to sense him and see him in new ways. Some of you are aware I'm getting married in August. That's a good thing. Woo-hoo. Yep. And I'm so excited because she is just an amazing, godly woman. And she's beautiful and hot. <laughs> and here's the deal. And what I find so crazy is that she loves me. <laughs> like my quirks and my craziness and my crazy hours that I work on the weekends. And, 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 and can you believe that? That she would love me. And see, then I remember the scriptures that says that he who finds a good wife finds a good thing. And so for some reason, this amazing moment, God has placed her in my life, despite who I am. You see how a transformed mind begins to see God? And then there's this line we always say in communion, is that we are not worthy even to gather up the crumbs from the table. Do you get what that says? That we're not worthy to gather the crumbs from his table, but at the same time, he continues to invite us in for dinner. That he is so very good. Listen, my prayer is that we just don't see him, but that we begin to feel him in our hearts. See, when we start seeing him and meditating on his word, we realize what he has done and how awful we are. And I hope that that would stir up in us worship, reverence, gratitude. That we feel Him in our hearts and that we just can't contain to talk about how good He is. That we know how good and it just wants to overflow. And so we come in here and we go, I gotta sing. I gotta lift my hands. And for some of us, we gotta dance. I know you're like, uh uh. But listen, my prayer is that we would be like a volcano because we know how good he is. And he's touched our hearts and we just want to share. We just want to explode and talk about our great God. That we would know him in our minds, fill him in our hearts, and that we would begin to work with our hands. See, as we look at the early church, they were possessed by working with their hands. They were possessed by this Jesus. So they fed the hungry, they clothed the naked, and they healed the sick as a part of their everyday living. I must have said that. See, they would see someone in need, and they would go, let me help you out. We need to raise some funds? Heck, let me go sell my house. I mean, that's crazy thinking, but they were so possessed by this Jesus. So-and-so is sick? Come on, let's go pray for him. Now let's not just pray for them. Let me take care of them. Let me nurse them back to health. Uh, you don't know Jesus? Come on over to dinner. Let me tell you about how good he is. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And they were committed 
that they were faithful to being the hands. They understood it in their minds. They felt it in their hearts. They worked it out with their hands. And God added to their numbers daily. Gospel-driven people. Gospel-focused people. And listen, church, our call is to be the same. We're called to show and tell. You remember a kindergarten, right? Like on Fridays, you had show and tell. And it was an awesome thing where you could bring something that you liked and talk about it. And, and when you had some, when you got to bring something that you really cherished and really liked, you were just like so excited. And so when the teacher would say, who wants to share next? You're like, me, 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 me. Unless your mom was awful and made you bring something you didn't want to talk about, right? But you were excited about to, sh- about to show this class, this, this object that you really cherished. And you were so excited to talk about it. This is what we should be uh, as a church. This volcano. Huh. I just want to tell you about my Jesus. Just give me a chance to tell you about him. But I wonder if that's really true. It makes me wonder about us. Because there are some hard questions we really need to ask ourselves this morning. And that's this. When was the last time you shared your faith? Can you name them? Who was it that you had that conversation with? And I'm betting most likely we can't even think of that person. We can't think of the last time we shared our faith. And that, that simple fact, should scare us. Really should scare us. Penn of Penn and Taylor, the, the magic show that takes place in Vegas, after one of his shows... Uh, someone came back there with him behind stage and began to tell him about Jesus. Penn, was, Penn is still an atheist, but this is what he had to say about his encounter with this lover of Jesus. He says, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and people are going to hell, and you think, well, it's not worth telling them because it would make things socially awkward, then how much do you really hate somebody not to tell them the gospel? How much do you hate somebody not to share the gospel? Penn hit it on the head, didn't he? Do we love our neighbors? Do we love the lost? Do we love our co-workers, our friends, the stranger we meet? Do we really believe that the most loving thing we could do is share Jesus? Do we bear the message of universal importance, or don't we? Is it the hope of the world, or isn't it? So we know the answer is yes. And we know the mandate to go tell and show. And listen, for some of us who've been sitting here in the pews for a long time, or chairs, the last thing, let me be honest with you, the last thing you need, and don't take this to extremes, but the last thing you don't need is another Bible study and another sermon. What we become is spiritual fatheads, like the ones you put up on the wall. And our, on our arms and our legs have atrophied. We're like the guy at the gym who only works out the chest and do bench press, right? He's all big up here, but nothing down here. 
No legs. Just a whole lot of knowledge and not a lot to show for it. See, here's the challenge. Quit coming to church. Instead, be the church. Then listen, he fills us up so that we can be poured out. And for some of us, the best thing we could be saying to God is, God, how would you want me to use? How do you want to use me? Sorry. How do you want to use my hands? And maybe the answer to that question is you just start feeding the poor, start a small group for your neighbors, maybe teach a class. And here's a great idea. Why don't you serve? And I'm not talking about serve what makes it easy. I'm talking about go to the places you don't want to go and get your hands dirty. For some of us, we've got to get out of the pews and the chairs and be the church. Be the church. Because what good is your knowledge if it doesn't cause you to love him more and love others? What good is it? And maybe for some of us, I'm going to be a little bit more harsh, all right? Be ready for it? Maybe for some of us, we're like what Matt Chandler says. He says, the most, of the, most of those who are in the church are functional atheists. That with your mouth, you'll proclaim you're a Christian because everybody's a Christian. Yeah, I believe. I know Jesus. But there is no evidence in your life other than Sunday morning attendance that your life has been transformed. It is though every area outside of Sunday morning looks like everybody else. And it, you would be hard-pressed. You'd be hard-pressed to tell the difference between you and your atheist friend who lives down the block. And what often happens is that we come to church and you hear the truth and before you even reach the car outside, you vomit it up. Give me my communion, give me my church service, make it comfortable, make it entertaining, but don't tell me how to live, Pastor. I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm going to raise my kids the the way I want to live, I'm going to use my money the way I want to live, but there's no desire to pursue God and no intent on actually living for Him. I like the Bible, no intention of submitting to God, No real desire to live for him. And some of us go, just give me my salvation and leave me alone. Functional atheist. And when it becomes like that, church becomes a real silly habit. And we wonder why there isn't real spiritual death. If that is you, you wonder why there's no spiritual death or why you don't know him or don't feel him? Because you just became a functional atheist. And we hear the verse from Romans again. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That this is holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship, he says. And the last part, do not conform to the pattern of this world. See, as gospel people, as gospel people, we live different. We live mission-minded in the hope that others would come to know this great Savior. And so we had some questions. Men, how are you leading your family? Are you leading in a way that others may know him? 
Are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? And some of us go, you don't know my wife, she's crazy. <laughs> We're all crazy, aren't we? Do you see her as, as not a possession, but as a gift from God? And all the ladies are like, amen. <laughs> Do you see your marriage as not about you? It's not about you, but rather your opportunity to serve her, love her, cherish her, doing so to glorify God and that others may look at your marriage and go, man, what is different about them? What's up with their marriage? How about raising your kids? Are you praying with them? Teaching them? Doing Bible studies? Are you showing them His way? What's the top priority in your house? Sports? Grades? Social status? Or is it Him? Are you raising them so that they, that they would understand Him? That they would know Him in their hearts? And they would begin to work at it with their hands. Church, how do we handle our money? I know that's taboo. We're not supposed to talk about money in church. But listen. Do we view our finances with closed hands? Do we go over here and say, this is my money, mine, and you can't have it? Or do we live because of the gospel, because of what he's given with open hands? Saying, God, however you want to use my finances, however you want to use this is what I've been given. Go ahead, take it. Do we live with open hands so that others may know him? Do people know you as generous? Not to gain new toys, but to just give it away. Can't take it with you, can you? What about this? Time. I truly believe time is our greatest gift you can't ever get it back. Money comes and goes. Time you never get back. And listen, I'm 30 years old. For some of you think that's young, for some of you think that's old. But listen, I already feel this weight that my days are numbered. I'm running out of time. You're running out of time. And James says this. He says our lives are just like a mist that appears for a little bit and disappears. You don't know when it will end. How are you using your time? Is it pursuing the American dream or pursuing his dream? Is it living for the, the gospel or is it living for yourself? How do you spend your time? Is it to love him and make him known to others? So we're called, we're bought, and we have a new purpose. We don't conform to the pattern of this world, rather we live differently. We live mission-minded. We don't earn it. It's not about earning it. Don't get, don't get me wrong here. We don't earn it. Because rather, we've already, he's already bought the price for us. He's already paid it. And the greatest, here's the deal, the greatest evangelistic tool God uses is you and I. You and I. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, he empowers us to be his witnesses greatest tool he uses our lives surrender to him so therefore we should go show and tell go show and tell it's your mandate and my mandate do it let's pray
Jesus, I just pray that this would really rock our worlds. That right now your Holy Spirit will work in us. Father, that we would feel the urgency, we'd feel your presence, and it would cause us to move. It causes us to fall on our knees and repent for being so selfish, so prideful, so all about us. And Father, may we here as a church go. May we be willing to, to go. May we be willing to use our lips and our hands to be about this Jesus. Father, would you put it on us? Would you disturb us? Could we not walk away from this calling to be your people? People devoted, focused on the task at hand. Don't let us be distracted by the things of this world, but call us and show us. Use Christ Church. Use us to be this light that shines in the darkness. All God's people said,